Is uh, reflecting on the characteristic anatta, not self, which um, can seem pretty mysterious or nihilistic if you take it as a philosophical or metaphysical kind of statement, like there is no self, void, nothing, nobody here doing anything. So it seems to invalidate. <laughs> you know, actions and uh, relationships and so forth. But that's not the right way to take it, really. It's the way to take it is to understand that, that sense we have of individuality has to be moderated, investigated, not taken as some ultimate stance. So you might say it's also about personal modesty or humility, you know, where we're kind of not making out my own particular individuality the centre of of the universe, you know, like everything's got to revolve around me, you know, and, uh, or even I can assume I can understand everything, or I've got it all right all the time, you know, or the people owe me something, or it's my right to do what I want, these kind of energies that can come up, we say, no, no, this, is, this isn't going anywhere good. So it's really a, a recognition that, that this, the, when this, self-experience isn't, isn't moderated, isn't understood, it isn't held with clarity and awareness, it can really run amok and cause a suffering, which of course is the main point of the teaching. You know, we take ourselves seriously, we get lost in ourselves, we get depressed about ourselves, we get irritated by ourselves, we worry about ourselves, how other people think about me, <laughs> whether I'm good enough, whether I'm ready to do this or the other. Nor this, you know, endless kind of running around this, this, uh, Buddha said it's like having a stake with a dog tied to the stake. No matter how it runs, it just goes running around this stake of, of me, you know. And that would be fine if it actually got anywhere good, but it doesn't. It just goes round and round. Who am I? What am I? What would I be? What will I be? Why, why am I this way? You know, that kind of thing. So it's the, the aim is to really recognize a particular fulcrum or leverage point around suffering if we can actually release that or let go of that or get wiser and clearer about that then we can you know lessen the amount of suffering we generate for ourselves and others in fact meditation it can be completely eliminated <clears throat> but it's often very simple things are like the sense of you know personal modesty you know you know making a big deal out of ourselves it's about taking on responsibilities rather than claiming rights means we have to fit in with you know a world of others which isn't always going my way isn't always 
boosting me up, take responsibility. We live within a shared world. We've got to recognize it means that every human being has to learn to give up a bit because there's seven billion of us. It becomes manifestly obvious that it's, it's really a big drain on the earth's resources. You know, you wasting using up the planet to the point where we'll just die out, you know, or be severely damaged because we can't moderate this sense of me. <clears throat> so it's recognizing we have to live within restraint and, and responsibility and limitation. Mm. And actually, you're finding within that there's a place where you can feel very comfortable with that. Something you can relax into that. So, you know, very simply, you know, meditation or the way of cultivating our our mind or our heart or our center. You can say, breathing in, breathing in, out, being with that. Gives you a steady place to be where you can check you can release, you can refresh yourself, you can find comfort, you can find ease, you can, you know, moderates the energies and uh, sharpens your attention. So you do yourself a lot of good just being witnessing or being with breathing in, breathing out, feeling it, sensing it, spending time with that. And may all beings be well, may I be well, uh, may I not abuse myself, nor may I not abuse others. So this sense of our relationships. Google that ethics and also general area of kindness and goodwill. So it's, it's like we recognize we live in, in a shared universe, shared context. And actually, you know, though... though Boundless love for all beings is a better is a nicer idea. Just not not abusing other people is more realistic. <laughs> you know, not abusing oneself, not abusing others. You can't always feel that that positively inclined towards everyone, but at least we cannot abuse them. You know, or, or check that. You know. not abuse ourselves, beat ourselves up all the time, cajole and worry and fret and dump ourselves, mm-hmm. or dump others. It's funny how, you know, wh- why does that happen? What's going on there? Why does all this stuff go on, you know? Now, Buddha said actually that... Uh, there are very powerful uh, flows or floods or forces that, that sweep away this sense of clarity and care and conscience and concern and uh, steadiness. You know? Sweep it away. And these are called, sometimes these are called asawal, outflows, sometimes they're called floods. Olga, same thing really. But they're both metaphors give you a feeling for this sense of something welling up and flowing out and then flooding. And a few minutes of meditation will certainly show you some of that, the feeling of it, the feeling of being flooded. 
Search what it can start off quite pleasant, like this streaming, daydream, drifting thoughts, memories, notions, this, that, whimsies, fancies. It floods and you kind of get lulled into it. And then it starts to hit something a bit negative, like some worry or some obsessive doubt or a particular thing that's bothering you. And you find you can't get out of it. <laughs> or you're falling asleep and you can't wake up. You know, you're meditating, you're sitting there drifting, dreaming, drifting. You know, for a few moments it was kind of just pleasant and then it, the flood swept along and you got swept into somewhere, something obsessive, difficult, some kind of, you know, negative mood, grudge, grievance, worry, concern, craving, lust, you know, feeling dumped on, whatever it was, something that takes you in these negative places and you're stuck there because you've been, you've lost your feet, you've lost your moorings, you've got caught in the flood. And this happens time and time again when we meditate. You know, so the kind of most fundamental teaching is just to, you know, what do we need to do to get our feet on the ground? What do we need to do to find some firm ground? You know, and actually, this isn't, we start to see how the mind is so easily lulled into that, into that just flowing along. In fact, we rather like it. We look for things to flow along into. Something where we don't have to be so conscious, switch something on and sit back in it. Switch on a sound, switch on a film, switch on a something, just sit back in it. Go to a movie, go to a restaurant, sit back in it. You know, read the papers, sit back in it. Enjoy other people's anguish. <laughs> Look on the telly, you know. <laughs> Horror movies, people with violence. <laughs> Anything, as long as you don't have to be with oneself. <laughs> Not to be conscious. You know, this is ignorance, you know, the, the fundamental thing, it doesn't want to actually be awake, conscious, in this sense of make, being responsive, you know, and really seeing things as they are, we just let it glide. And this isn't a personal wish, I'm sure, you know, it's a personal wish, one can often really want to not do that, but it's almost a reflex habit, the mind doesn't want to to wake up to the present moment, not knowing the future. You know, it wants to just be in the dream, the flood of it all. And it's all turned on, isn't it, for us? Go to a supermarket, there's kind of music. Feel comfortable, feel at ease, just swing along, buy your dog food, buy your soap powder, have a nice day. You know, it wouldn't be different if instead of that they had some sort of barking voices saying, you're under attack. Would you feel like staying in there shopping? No, you'd rush out. But the nice, sweet, insipid music, just drift, drift along, well, one of these, have one of those, why not? Everything's like that, isn't it? You know, pipe music, fragrances, things that just let you just drift off into their, their, their sanya, their perceptions of ease, comfort, Life is good, life is sweet, everything's fine. It's a drug we take. And we like that, you know, nothing else going to sleep. Sleep, one of the 
happiest or the most desirable things. You monastic life and you food is limited, sex is ruled out, music isn't gonna happen, all you've got left is sleep. <laughs> you know, they try and make it as difficult as possible, you sleep on the floor on a kind of light pad, but still you want to get down there <laughs> where under the under the duvet where nobody's gonna bother you, nobody's gonna tell you what to do. <laughs> There's no formality to it, just glide, you know. <laughs> and then waking up in the morning with that realization the bell of responsibility is striking, you know. Oh, get it up, get it going, be with the cold and the ache and the twinge in the back and the feel and the thoughts and the feelings and, the, uh, and somebody else making a noise in the meditation hall again. Winding me up. <laughs> When's he going to ring the bell? Why does it have to be so long? You know, in the dream world, it's just glide along, isn't it? That's that's ignorance. You know, how we how something is really likes that that flood of it. So you know, one of the things we're just doing here, whether we whatever we're doing, we try to just be conscious and clear about it. Make some clear. Acknowledgement of what's going on, good, bad, pleasant, unpleasant, just being, just knowing it as it is. And stopping the kind of proliferations of, around it, deserve, fault, blame, need, right, got to have, shouldn't be, you know, just, just cutting that, that, you know, with the mind pulls into the flood with our sense of, you know, passion or desire or grievances. It's, now it's this, now it's this. The feeling, how the feeling tugs us into the flood. The, the Vedana, the feeling tone, tugs us into the proliferations. Mind spins out. This is the one you really want to, you know, work on. <clears throat> Because yeah. actually, there's that there's that possibility for clarity, balance, being unshaken, not being swept off your feet. Yeah. But there are other floods that come along with that. There are, there are actually have their own trick trickiness and their own um, teachings. And of course, there's the flood of sensuality, sights, sounds, tastes. Yeah. Monastic life is mostly food, food and drink. Mm. Where you know you go into the kitchen with some kind of resolution to be modest, and you wonder, you come out of the kitchen, wonder who put all this food in your bowl? How come there's more than you can eat? <laughs> you know, suddenly you saw these things. Oh, one of those, a nice bright orange thing. That's a tasty one of those. I haven't had one of those for years. You know. And after all, I should help have something from all the pots just to be make a reasonable effort. And you need fruit, don't you? And then you want to balance it with a bit of that. And then a little cake on the end of it just as a nice little treat to myself. He's got this kind of whack and great dustbin full of food. <laughs> How did that happen? You know, <laughs> every sight said, you know, 
Well, sometimes you don't even get at that that level. You know, why we have it in the bowl is so you, at least you get some pers- perspective on it. I often tell the story, you know, I was first years of training, where they just give us a little bit of food every day. You just sit and wait, you didn't have any chance of choosing anything, it just turned up. It wasn't very much, it was generally just rice and some sort of bit of mushy, boiled down vegetables, sometimes a bit of fat, pig meat or floating around in it. That was it, that was it, you know. And um, so you have that, that just turn up. No choice. Sometimes, one or two times it didn't turn up at all, they forgot to bring it, which made it even more hair-raising. And then one day I got invited out to a, to a dana, you know, like a meal out, where food was all laid on a table. You know, it was with another monk, a couple of other monks. And so it wasn't all dumped in a little bowl, and you could choose. I didn't remember much about it apart from just getting to this table and then this kind of blur happening. And somewhere towards the end of this blur, noticing these faces, shocked faces. <laughs> and somebody kind of trying to make excuses for what I was doing. <laughs> That's how he, you know, it's, his first, it's just quite, quite new, quite new, you know. And, uh, you know, I just kind of just basically gorged. I just couldn't stop. Just, you know, just grabbing all the food and eating, all this, just packing it away, you know, get away with it while you can, you know, before they send you back to the... <laughs> but it was uh, also just this kind, this way in which there was no, there was no, I, I was hardly conscious of it, it's just like this blur, loss of, loss of presence, and you're just in this sea of, of energy, of, of, of uh, kind of a voracious energy. And then after, when she, you know, finished, you feel this sudden realization, uh-oh, where have I been for the past 20 minutes or so? Mm-hmm. Can you recognize what a flood it can be? Mm-hmm. Or living, living in that environment, in this Thai monastery, very quiet, very, you know, nothing much happening. And you don't see anybody, you know. And then landing in England, almost immediately blown away by the sights and sounds, fragrances, touches, sounds. You know, suddenly you hear, hear some music playing. Your ear would just kind of swell up and rush towards the sound, trying to gobble it up. And then living in uh, a Thai monastery, and then it, you know the only women you'd see would be these kind of shaven-headed nuns with ankle-length white dresses and then suddenly seeing all these kind of women and perfumes and uh, cultivated hairdos and short skirts and then you go, wow, what's that? <laughs> what's that? <laughs> on the same planet? <laughs> and uh, kind of rushing to get, to get somewhere where I could kind of hide myself away in a room to get away from it all. The flood of it getting swept away. So you learn, you learn just this, uh, you know, that, that really fit, you've got to develop some restraint and resolution and vigilance over the mind. Yeah. And just, and it's not, you know, realize the, not, not sort of some puritanical 
misery, but just a sense of, I'm really going to get knocked around if I don't hold this one, get clear about it. So bringing it back into the body, bringing it back into the body, bringing the mind back into the body, walking, standing, sitting, breathing, feeling the senses in the body, letting the mind sit in the body, checking the visual field. Generally the mind runs out through the eyes, very hungry eyes, so you learn how to keep your eye contact soft, not glaring, you know, restrained, not poking around, steady, not, not switching every which way, so you just keep your eye contact turned down. It doesn't mean you're looking at the floor, it means you actually just not got the, the gaze is not tense, it's just loose and relaxed. You know, it's not because it's got the heat and the intensity in it. And you find, oh, you suddenly you just do that much. You learn something like that about how to use your senses, how to to not be leaning out through the eyes, mm-hmm. how to keep your body composed so you can f- stay in your body, sit clearly. You know, don't just slouch and loll around where the mind easily runs out. Keep it so the mind has to be conscious, aware of the body. So it's just a quite simple thing, sense restraint and collectedness. And yet that ongoing training, ongoing training to, to work with this outflow of sensuality. Of course, the thing is, we have to, because we have to have sense organs, so you can't cut them off. You're learning how to handle them. And that's, that's where you start to learn this is not about going blind or deaf or dumb. It's not cutting it off. It's just cutting off the getting swept away in it. And this is an important piece to learn because the other floods are much more to do with our, our psychology, our mental attitudes, and uh, how to... And they have their, you know... In some ways, they have validity as functions of um, of how we behave, and yet they also can sweep us away. The first one is becoming, which is that which accumulates experience, tends to project into the future, establishes a sense of past, present, future, progress, development, going on a trajectory. It's that that way in which we map the mind maps things. It's good at that. Having been this, I will be that. What am I going to do tomorrow? How will it work out next year? What will it be like? How will I get stronger or wiser or happier? So this is quite a valid enough mechanism. But you can see how, as as a flood, it sweeps you away into never really being contented and still in the present. You're always always lost in the plans of the future, feeling that something else you could be, should be, that would give you the good, this is it, you know. And you can see this in meditation, you know, or just in watching your watching your mind. Like when you're meditating, just sitting still, see your mind goes, and you think, oh, it'd be good to... Yeah, you know, I've never been to Argentina. That'd be an interesting country, Argentina. And then you get that feeling, there's a little kind of light shines. You get the feeling of warm, interesting, colourful, 
exciting, new, different. Yeah. And then, you know, I could learn classical guitar. Classical guitar. Yeah. Bright, interesting, new, fresh. Light lights up. Or next week I'll go to the pictures. Interesting. I'll take so-and-so with me. Yeah, it'd be a nice evening. Lights up. (laughs) You You get these kind of emotional telegrams of perception of how good it would be when you get one of those, when you do one of those things. Monastic life, same sort of thing when you go somewhere else. Or in your meditation, you know, when I get to the, do this and do that, or get to that place where you're really spacious, spacious, luminous, radiant, steady, clear, unshaken, that's where I'm going to be, boom. (laughs) The little light flashes up. You know, and so we, we go like that, don't we? You know, whatever one's source of becoming is. And the idea is that the general impression that it leaves is at the end of this, as a result, is you will be this. <laughs> and that's, that's the mistake. Yeah, because, you know, we followed this probably thousands of times. Does it ever really turn out like it said in that particular mind game? Do you ever get that? Ah, this is it, great. Yeah. And everything goes around that, doesn't it? It's technical, technological gadgets, you know, computers, mobile phones, things like that. You get one of these, suddenly your life will be trouble-free. Instant connection wherever you want in the world, wherever you go, amazing instant connection. Meet your friends, your family can be with you. Push a button, boom, it tells you the weather on Tokyo. Push another button, you get movies from so-and-so, so-and-so, fantastic, wherever you are, you know. And you buy the thing, how does it work? Well, it's going to take you a month and a half to figure out how it's going to work. Sorry, no connection. <laughs> Download this application, you'll get one of these. It goes on like that, does it? And it breaks down, and then you've got to put some more money in the thing. Yeah. You never quite get to that state which is presented in the advertisement with the nice model holding this thing, looking totally happy comfortable, efficient, admired, so forth. No, it never quite gets there, does it? That's the myth of becoming. But if we say, well, you know, we never develop anything, then you get into this non-becoming, feel, what's the point of anything, really? Why bother? And then you become that. We get that particular impression itself. But in cultivation, what you're recognizing is that certainly mind states do develop dependent upon causes and conditions. If you put this in, this is the result. Mind does become something, but the self doesn't. It is not self. You don't become anything, but the mind, if you put this energy into it, 
comes like this. If you focus on breathing in and out steadily, if you apply the right kind of attention, you learn to look at how causes and conditions and energies and attitudes and aims and aspirations, how the right ones, the skillful ones, will generate particular mind states, states of being, states of emotion, states of awareness that are pleasant, skillful, bright, useful. Certainly things do become, and that's what you want. But as soon as you get the idea, I'm going to be something, that messes it up. Interesting, like the way that you, you get it best is by leaving yourself out of the picture and just doing it very purely. Leaving the sense of goal out of the picture and just doing the practice very purely. Sense almost like there's a responsibility here. You look at the aims, attitudes, energies, aspirations, attentions that bring you to where you feel clearer, steadier, firmer. That does happen. Hmm. And the point of it is, when, when the mind has become that skillful, it starts to come out of the flood of needing to be and have. And, you know. It's just things as they are. This is just the mind. Just doing this, it's like this now. One isn't caught in it, lost in it, leaning on it. One that often captures uh, meditators, well, any, you know, particularly um, people of, of good intention, uh, is views, flood of views, ditti. And views means we we uh, we we always have a view. We tend to, you know, I think this is right or that's good. This is better than that. Mm-hmm. This is true. That's not true. Mm-hmm. This seems appropriate. This seems inappropriate. This is friendly. This is not friendly. We have certain subjective views. Yeah, that's the way we operate. It gives you some standpoint. You also recognize, after a while, that other people have different views. They use the same words, but they apply them to different standards, different behaviors. Well, he's got it wrong. No, she's, no, she's out, missing it. No, no, this is right, that's wrong. Then, you know, it builds up like that. And the clearer one is about one's own views, then the less uh, capable one is of accepting other people's. Of course, in religion is the problem, isn't it? You know why religion is based apparently on, you know, sublime, divine, and so forth can do the most demonic things to each other over a viewpoint. Orthodox Church and the Catholic Church have been at least a thousand years in enmity over whether there's Christ is an aspect of the Father or separate. 
yeah. <laughs> you know, I haven't really got to think about that myself. But uh, if you're into that line of theology, probably it's burning. And they have burnt. They've burnt Constantinople down because of that. <laughs> Validated it, you know. Excommunicated, ostracized, you know, each other and so forth. And it goes on, doesn't it? The Crusades, Inquisition, witch hunts. And what does it do? You know, if you look at those experiences, suddenly when you get a strong view, you feel empowered, you feel you're right. And they're on the other side. Those rotten Christians, those rotten Puritans, those, you know, the, uh, once the Protestants started splitting, they've been splitting ever since. So you get all these hundreds and hundreds of evangelical sects who don't approve of each other, who shunned and blamed and ostracized each other because somebody wears their hat the wrong way. Remember, they were one of these the Amish and these uh, people in the um, Pennsylvania. You know, you get ostracized because you're wearing your hat with a curl in it. It shows you into vanity, you know, because you've got to wear a particular kind of very sober dress. So you can get a view about that and ostracize someone for having a button, too big a button on their shirt, showing off. So it goes, you know, and... We're going to hold the pure line, the really pure, straight, true, traditional way. We're going to hold that against the forces of evil, the corrupt, the slack. Sounds convincing, doesn't it, in a way? Sounds even, even, you know, courageous. We're going to show the rest of them. We're going to hold our and then you feel feeling what it does gives this sense of self some really strong ground and in others there's a little wall there on the other side and we do this we, and that once you've created that then that particular wall that line cuts across may I be well may others be well it cuts across ethical boundaries. You know, you can burn people at the stake, torture people. You know, cuts across the boundaries. So you know, killing, um, abusing, beating up, so forth, and also crosses cuts across the boundaries of compassion and uh, and sense of sharing. So the we sense is lost. It's them, it's my lot and your lot. Yeah, so, you can, and this is this is not just something that belongs to a particular religious sects. It's a it's a tendency in all human beings, you know, nationalist ones, little England, and all them foreigners over the other side of the channel. We're keeping at bay <laughs> from taking over our land, you know, you get the Daily Mail or the Sun, always going to sooner or later have the headlines about immigrants taking away our jobs. You know. There's rotten immigrants. In fact, we're all immigrants, you know. 
it was going to be this week, it was going to be the Romanians or the Poles or the Turks or somebody others taking over our blessed island. And people feel, suddenly feel very convinced about that. Yeah. So we, you know, <laughs> that's how it happens, isn't it? Nationalist things, religious things, gender things, you know. And just feeling what it happens when this energy comes up. My lot, we get together and we blame the other lot. Us English people blame the rest of them foreigners. You know, us Buddhists, us Theravadans look down on the Mahayanists or however it goes. You know. Just feel when it, when it comes up, the joy in it, the strange delight one has. It's like eating food. We all get together and get together and, you know, form our club and then ostracize somebody else. Yeah. Show them where it's at. <laughs> just like football clubs, isn't it, again? You know? And there's this kind of strange glee, you know, an energy that comes up. You finally feel really solid. And, then, and in that, we don't really notice that we are what we're doing. We're like losing myself in the food. I don't really notice what I'm, what I'm doing on an emotional level. I'm cutting people out. You see, and this happens in, in classes. You know, you get some kid who's a bit slower or weaker than the others. All the other boys tend to kind of ostracize him. You know, he's an idiot, he's a fool. Pick on him, beat him up. You know, find something. And you get this sense of bonding around someone else, someone that you can reject. It's, it's a sticky business and... and it, heightens one's sense of personal strength and, and clarity and rightness. And these are dangerous experiences. They're flooding, they're intoxicating. You know, that really, you know, the, the, what we're looking towards is that which is humble, cooling, easeful, easeful sharing, you know. Now, it's not to say that one can't say, well, this is my view, this is the way I see it. You know, this is correct behaviour, that's incorrect behaviour. Address it. Check it out. We're all, do, you know, we're all subject to these, these problems, these blind spots, inconsistencies. But it's when that piece of behaviour becomes a self when I become a self that judges myself or others, yeah? then you feel it, then there's the adherence, then the flood has taken over. Something to be watchful of, careful of. This is not some, it's something that, that happens for all of us, I'm sure. You know, I certainly in uh, monastic life, I always make a point of you know, visiting other monasteries and we start to have views about them. You know, there's a lot up there. <laughs> there's a lot down there. You know, so just learn to mingle a bit more. Get views about Thailand or about Amrawaddy or about you know, how wonderful it is, how terrible it is, how backward they are, how stuck they are, how lax they are, how strict they are, whatever. Just 
No. It's just people mumbling, you know, bundling along, trying to get back to breathing in, breathing out. May I be well, may others be well. And getting stuck on the way. Pretty, pretty standard experience. <laughs> and you come back to that, you recognize, you know, trying to sort of sort everyone else out and put everyone into categories and do all that. We just come back to this. Breathing in, breathing out. May I be well. May I not harm, abuse others. May they not abuse me. Just find that place where you can start to turn these floods around. See, gathering up, collecting an energy that actually is not aggressive or affirmative. It's a spacious. And the interest, you know, beautifully enough, the paradox in terms of words is the space, the spaciousness is firmer steadier than any other position or standpoint we can have. That's why it's recommended. It's the best ground to hold on to, is ironically spaciousness. You know, not drifting, vague, vacant spaciousness, but a sense of firm, open steadiness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, could be right, could be wrong, let's check it out. Mm-hmm. You know, so that these floods that close us down, that sweep us away, are restrained. This is what each of us can know in ourselves. Each of us can work on in ourselves. As we try to handle this experience of separateness, of differences, of things we can want, things we don't want, things that we rejoice in, things that irritate us, when you come down to it, the Buddha said, all the kind of views you can have, every view is based upon contact. In other words, it's based just upon what you're being moved by in the present moment, by the sense of dislike, or the sense of like, the sense of comfort, the sense of discomfort, on a psychological level. So every view comes down to that. And where do you actually find the place where you're getting reliable kind of quality of comfort, of ease and so forth? This is going to be breathing in, breathing out. May all beings be well, free from harm. May I be well, free from harm. There's a certain spaciousness around that. So this in a way is the we sense you know, it can encompass all beings, but it's not, you know, bonding together into some club or tribe. It's a, it's a we that doesn't have anybody in it. It's not that I'm going to get to know everyone in depth and like everyone and work, work my relationships out with everyone. It's just the space space to be with that which arises in, in contact, in relationship. And, you know, respond to that from mindfulness. Some things you say, no, I'm not with that. That doesn't seem, no, I'm not there with that. That's not for me. It's not correct. That's not appropriate. Mm -hmm. That's a view, but you're not adhering to it. You're not making someone out of it. You're not taking a stand on it. It's just a recognition. And this is the way that we can start to, to work, to establish who we are in ourselves, who we are with other people. 
so that you can build up. Interesting enough, it's kind of a uh, you know a whole community or network across the world. And so these uh, these floods and the abating of them are for our own welfare, for the welfare of others, the welfare of both. This is why the Buddha taught them. Anyone? Anyway.